From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome back to special coverage of the New Hampshire Republican primary on Bloomberg TV and radio. The race has been called. Donald Trump has won. And just moments ago, we heard from the runner-up, Nikki Haley, conceding here in the Granite State. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. And back with us now, our political panel, Rick Davis, partner at Stonecourt Capital, is here alongside Jeannie Shanzano, political science professor at Iona University. Rick, what are we looking at the rest of the night here? Because we do still have some questions to answer, as we said earlier, particularly when it comes to margin. We're just past, what, a third of the way here, Kaylee, as we look at the numbers of precincts reporting. That's a lot of votes still to come in. Yeah, I mean, every indication is it may actually exceed the Secretary of State's prediction of 322,000 yeah. uh, voters. So uh, a healthy uh, and robust uh, day at the polls for New Hampshire voters. Well done. Uh, this is what we come to New Hampshire to do, is see a real democracy in action. Uh, and I think that you're going to see more and more votes coming from the rural areas. Uh, right now, it's inside a 10-point range mm -hmm. uh, between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And I think all you're going to do is see more and more margin coming in from Donald, for Donald Trump voters. You know, these are his strongholds, uh, rural voters. Uh, and, 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 and one of the things we're seeing, which is a very stark contrast, which we've seen in Iowa and we've seen in the polling nationally, is Donald Trump is doing exceptionally well with voters who don't have a college education. But Nikki Haley has really racked up margins uh, with voters who do have a college education. Dartmouth, that area around Hanover, uh, she was leading Donald Trump 80% uh, hmm. uh, in a college town like that where it's very high education levels. That being said, there are more voters who don't have college education in New Hampshire than otherwise. Hmm. So on margins, right now 32% of the vote counting, according to the Associated Press, Trump 53.9, Haley 45.1. So we're just under a nine-point spread. At this point, I feel like we should remind Jeannie, our global audience that's watching, that this is the second in a row that Trump has won. There's only been two contests. He has won both. In Iowa, though, historically, the person who wins does not end up the nominee. It's been that way in the last several uh, competitive contests. Ted Cruz, for example, won it in 2016 when Trump was the eventual nominee. That's not necessarily the case with New Hampshire, but is this going to be the year that Iowa and New Hampshire both picked the presidents. It wasn't just Iowa picking corn this time. Yeah, I mean, that could be. It seems like that's what we are looking at. And, you know, this is once again, I have to say, Donald Trump breaking these established molds. I think he has changed this Republican Party. 
And let's, you know, not forget, he has changed the primary process as well. Here, as we sit in New Hampshire, you had Nikki Haley crossing this state end-to-end, back-and-forth campaign events and rallies and all these kinds of things. He was dropping in for one event a day in between court cases for his 91 felony indictments, and yet he has led this thing. And so I think it's incumbent on all of us to try to understand what it is that voters on the Republican side are seeing in Donald Trump that they find attractive. And I have to say, give him credit. He ran a really smart campaign here. The two issues he focused on, immigration, security broadly, but immigration, Social Security, Medicare, which we keep saying Joe Matthew was in his commercial on that. (laughs) And those two things, he tried to move voters, and it seems like they were effective. And it's something to keep in mind. We talk a lot about Donald Trump saying things out of turn, talking about people calling them names. He was issue-focused, at least on the air here. For our TV audience, we're seeing a live view of votes being counted Uh, right now in New Hampshire with uh, quite a few to go here. Rick, the psychology behind Nikki Haley's decision here, knowing that she is trailing Donald Trump badly in her home state, as she moves closer to South Carolina, could she be more likely to drop out to avoid embarrassment there? Or is she committed to that contest? You know, look, this is a gut check, right? Um, She's uh, been under attack by Donald Trump pretty significantly since the Iowa caucus. She's withstood that pretty well. Uh, She did fall into a bit of a routine here of responding to all the attacks, which is exactly what you don't want to do when you're taking in that kind of assault. Uh, And the question she's going to have, the gut check is, do I want to go through four weeks of just intense barrage of attacks by the MAGA machine in South Carolina, a significant force of politics that can really hurt her image long term if she's not careful uh, and, and, and that's going to be really the core question. I don't think South Carolina is going to be determined by money. She'll have plenty of money mm-hmm. to fuel a South Carolina came for four, campaign for four weeks. The question is, is she going to want to? Well, you talk about the attacks that she could be on the receiving end of. There also is the question of the attacks she could be dealing out. We saw in the very final days leading up to here in New Hampshire, a sharpening of the knife, if you will, Mm -hmm. going after Trump for things as we heard her speaking this evening, things like senior moments when he confused her apparently with Nancy Pelosi, thinking she may have been at the Capitol on January 6th when he was speaking a few days ago. She's called him chaotic. If she's going to do this over the course of the next four weeks, how much harder realistically should she go and, and will she? I know a lot of her advisors have been wanting to ramp up the attacks, just like you were talking about, not just on mental competency and age. Uh, you know, that, that's been sort of the core. And that at the end of the day, she still says, yeah, but he's fit to be president, right? Mm-hmm. At some point, I think you have to draw a brighter and stronger contrast. You have to say, you know, he, and, and the electability issue has been one that I think she's starting to play even harder. She, tonight, she said he can't beat Biden, and she's the only one who can. In fact, she said any other Republican could but that means her. So uh, I think that she's going to have to come out much more aggressively. There's no way a massive negative campaign against you is, is going to be successful for you unless you are able to mount a significant and very well-scripted 
targeted campaign against your opponent. And, and she didn't do it, and, and DeSantis didn't do it, and, and the only one who really tried that was Christie, but he didn't attack Donald Trump on the issues. He attacked Donald Trump on his personality. She's got to hone an issues attack and prove to voters in South Carolina that his form of government is not conservative and not good for the country. Wow. Jeannie, the Biden campaign is already mobilizing here like it's over. The statement uh, from Joe Biden's campaign, one thing is clear, Donald Trump is headed straight into a general election matchup where he will face the only person to have ever beaten him at the ballot box, Joe Biden. Is it right? Is this general election underway? You know, and this is one of the things we heard Nikki Haley say tonight, that Republicans should be concerned that Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. And that is something we've known because the Biden admin, the Biden team has said that. Um, you know, and, and I think we're hard-pressed to imagine that anybody besides Donald Trump, barring something we, you know, unexpected, is going to get this nomination. And, you know, to put a finer point on it, Let's just remember, evangelicals in South Carolina, her home state, three out of four voters identify as evangelicals, only one out of four in, in New Hampshire. This is why this was the state for her to beat him. That said, she also tonight said, I'm going to challenge him to a debate. Why is he scared to debate me? So if she stays in this thing, she's going to be taunting him about a debate. Right. But if you're Donald Trump, Not gonna happen. What, what incentive do you have to debate? She's, and who is she to ask? She's lost two now. So it's, you know, if she stays in, I expect we'll hear that. But gosh, it's hard to imagine a way forward now. She really needed all New Hampshire delegates to pull this thing through to the end successfully. Well, and debates typically f feature two things, one of them being attacks against the person you're debating, the other being actual, in theory, if it's working, substantive policy conversation. And, and earlier, a few days ago over the weekend, we talked to Governor Kristen Nunu, of course, endorsed Haley, actively campaigned for her here in New Hampshire, didn't result in a win for her, obviously. And I asked him, is the differentiator between Haley and Trump actually policy or your what you think is the ability to execute on that policy? And he said it's execution, not actually policy. Is that an issue here? You just aren't convincing voters that you would actually be that much different, that you have different ideas that you're talking about? You know, I, I think it's a mistake because, you know, let's face it, voters look back at four years of Trump on the Republican side and they see successes there. Um, you know, so I think it's very hard to convince them that the execution wasn't there. But there are policy differentials, and she started talking about them, and then she dropped back a bit. And I think that that has been a problem. You know, there are many, many Republicans, who you look at the amount of spending mm -hmm. under the Trump administration, who find that objectionable. But she had to hit him hard, as did Ron DeSantis, not having done that already, I'm not convinced she can make that case now as she moves into these much more difficult states. So how does she have to place in South Carolina as we wait to have a better understanding uh, of this strong second or maybe not so strong? Uh, does she have to win her home state? Is it as simple as that? Well, you can't win a nomination by coming in second. Yeah. And that's really <laughs> what she's something. been doing. And, and uh, the political graveyards are stacked full of candidates who thought they could win by coming in second, and they never did. Uh, I mean, this will be the first time uh, that a candidate could have actually won the first three uh, primaries and caucuses, uh, and then, you know, it's, we've never turned back a nominee from that, ever. And so it, the, 
as Jeannie likes to say, Donald Trump likes to break the mold, and <laughs> she would have to really break a big mold to be successful this way. That being said, you know, a lot of people are talking about this notion of hanging around the hoop long enough, keep racking up delegates yes. and stay in the race and keep raising money and be in the fly in the ointment for Donald Trump, at which point maybe he does get convicted of one of these uh, crimes. Maybe he has enough of these uh, mental moments to uh, convince even his own voters that he doesn't have a path to go forward to beat Joe Biden. And then she's there with the electability argument. And it sounds pretty good at that point. Yeah, I guess none of us can know for sure what's going to happen over the course of the five months between now and when the sure. Republican convention actually takes place in July. And of course, Rick and Jeannie will be here to walk us through the next several months, just like they are sticking with us for the remainder of this hour. Rick and Jeannie will be back with us. But coming up, we're going to turn to foreign policy, something that Nikki Haley also has staked her candidacy on is her reputation in that arena. We'll be joined by Elena Lyon of the University of New Hampshire coming up next. This is special coverage of the New Hampshire primary on Bloomberg Television and Radio. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. He doesn't believe in limited government. He believes in this kind of dictatorship. He doesn't believe in local control. He believes in Washington. So those are not Republican values. But you have said because he, if he were to be the Republican nominee and because you are a Republican, yeah. you would support Yeah, him. I think most people would. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Even though you don't think he actually carries the values of the Republican party? Well, look, Joe Biden, that's how bad Joe Biden is. That was part of our conversation with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu earlier this week in Manchester as he was a surrogate for Nikki Haley, endorsed her, campaigned heavily for her here in this Granite State, and yet that was not enough to actually lead to a victory for her here in New Hampshire. The race was called just over an hour ago for Donald Trump. Right now, 34 percent of votes are counted. He has 53.4 percent to Nikki Haley's 45.6 percent. The question is, the trajectory of Haley's candidacy going forward, and also how much this will become more about the issues at play here. We want to talk about foreign policy issues in particular now. Let's go to Elena Lyon. She is political science professor at the University of New Hampshire and author of U.S. Politics and the United Nations. She is joining us here live in our Manchester studios as we simulcast you globally on both Bloomberg Television and radio. Professor Lyon, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We were just having a conversation with our colleagues Rick and Jeannie about issues domestically, the border, Social Security and Medicare, the retirement age. Nikki Haley is the former ambassador of the United Nations. And at a time where you have a conflict in the Middle East, you have a conflict uh, ongoing in Ukraine, she has really tried to flex that, at least to this point. 
Is it resonating with voters or do these issues just come too far below some of the other domestic problems that it's not enough to, to propel a candidacy like hers forward? Yeah, uh, such a great question. So there's actually a recent AP poll out looking at exactly this and asked voters, what are your top five issues? And foreign policy made the top five, not the top, but the top five. For I think it was 46% of Republicans, which actually doubled that from prior. And it's a little lower, like 37% or so for Democrats. So yes, I think that foreign policy is incredibly important. Uh, maybe not the kitchen table issues that people tend to think of, but the news is full of uh, a lot of instability in the Middle East. And you know, every time you open up your phone, there's something about the Middle East, whether it's Iran or Israel or the Houthis or uh, the situation in Ukraine. So I think people are paying attention and, and it seems so volatile, they're nervous. We have a global audience tonight, as Kaylee mentioned. To what extent is the world watching this primary. Joe Biden always tells the story about his first G7 when he said America's back and the reply was, for how long? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, the rest of the world, whether or not it's Vladimir Putin or the Europeans or the Canadian prime minister, mm -hmm. everyone is watching. And the United States is relevant to, we have boots on the ground or military presence in over 125 countries. We are a leader of what we call the international order, right? We were the architects of the United Nations, of NATO, of the IMF, of the World Bank, of the G7. The United States has led for over 70 years and provided guidance to deal with many of these issues. And there's a lot of concern during the Trump administration. There was a concerted pullback, right? Trump was America first, sure. not about dealing with global stability. And so there's a lot of people looking at the volatile issues around the world saying, is there someone that's going to come help us think this through and work these problems? Well, and you certainly got a taste of that at the World Economic Forum in Davos last week, where, where world leaders, specifically European ones, even a central banker, ECB President Christine Lagarde, were talking about how they view the risk of another Trump presidency, how Europe has, uh, has to think about that. You say that this is an issue that, it, that is resonating with voters, that they care about foreign policy issues. And the fact of the matter remains that at least judging by the tally right now and looking back at Iowa, hmm. more than 50 percent of Republican voters support the former president who did have an isolationist bent, who did threaten potentially to leave NATO. Does that show that actually it's not just about him, but the American electorate is becoming more isolationist. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, isolationism is a term that academics actually fight over. Are we isolationist? Do we really want to? And, and I think that many aren't quite sure, one, what isolationism means and whether or not it's even possible, right? Mm -hmm. When we think about isolationism, we think about the early 1900s, right? When you could actually kind of close borders and you didn't have planes coming in. I mean, the, our economy, the United States economy, relies on our interactions with the world. Our health, as we learned from COVID, relies on our interactions with the world. Yeah. Our climate health, if you will, you know, if we're talking about climate change, the United States can't do it alone. There's absolutely no. So there, I think that the notion of isolationism is, is a really old, old one. And I think that there's a lot of fear in the electorate. Like, we don't know what's going on out there. And the, the, ins the instinct is to kind of retract, yeah. right? And especially, uh, you know, there's war fatigue. The, the fatigue of Afghanistan and of Iraq was real. Uh, electorate really felt that we wrote a lot of checks and didn't get a lot back. But in terms of being isolationist, I don't even know if it's possible. It's great rhetoric. Mm -hmm. We're showing live pictures uh, to our TV audience of an empty podium waiting for Donald Trump, and we'll have remarks from him uh, when he does emerge here, having had this race called very early on uh, for Donald Trump here. The Associated Press waited one minute until after the polls closed 
to get this done. We had news today, Kaylee, of an eighth strike, an eighth U.S. strike against Houthi rebels in Yemen. You mentioned this steady drip of, frankly, scary headlines that people are hearing and reading about in the news. To what extent will Joe Biden be judged as having a steady hand on the tiller versus what some people see as international chaos? Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. I think that you know, we're in the middle of a storm, right? a squall, if you were using New Hampshire terms here, at the global level, particularly in the Middle East. There are seven to eight uh, particular conflicts going on within the Middle East. I mean, I'm trying to count them and map them out and explain it's them to my hard, students. It? it is. Yeah. It is very complicated. And, you know, they've got these little fires. It is a tinderbox. If you have volatility in Washington, D.C., a tweet... Or, a, or something to that particular effect could be, you know, I had former students who worked at the State Department and they said, you know, they'd wake up in the morning, they would have their marching orders, they would be preparing to do this, to work with this particular country and yeah. push it forward, and then all of a sudden a tweet would change everything. And so that level of volatility is very concerning. Yeah, yeah and we certainly have seen the former president, though he's no longer on Twitter, posting on X this evening after his victory here in New Hampshire, saying Nikki Haley is delusional, that she got in third in Iowa uh, as she was at her uh, victory party talking about how she did concede this race but was going to yeah. move forward to her home state of South Carolina. She said New Hampshire was the first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. She's going <laughs> to carry this forward. And, and we are seeing pictures now for our TV audience of Donald Trump uh, at his, his party this evening as well. We expect, Joe, that we'll hear from him very shortly. Yeah, he's got the whole family with him or at least a number of uh, family on the stage with a, a, a long bank of American flags and the typical Trump setup. A lot of phones in the air here, Kaylee, as we wait to hear remarks from uh, the former president. I'm curious which Trump we get, if it's retribution Trump or if it's come together unity Trump. We've seen both in the last week. Yes, we absolutely have. After Iowa, very congratulatory tone even for yeah. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley for the campaigns they were running there. Much more disciplined message. We'll wait to see uh, how what kind of tone he strikes this evening. Yep. Professor Lyon, just one more question quickly, and I apologize if I'll have to interrupt you when, when the former president starts to speak. You were talking about your students and also explaining to them the issues of the Middle East. And we have seen that students, the younger population here in the United States has at least a group of them very particular feeling about what's happening right now in Gaza, the conflict between Israel and Hamas. How much is that dragging on the incumbent president, Joe Biden, his handling of that issue in particular, as we have seen tens of thousands of civilians killed? Yeah, I think it's going to be a significant issue for whoever becomes president. And it's definitely something that Biden's had to tread very carefully. One, we have been unconditional allies of Israel for years and years, and, and, and where how, how unconditional is that? But also being mindful of the fact that there are 22 Arab states, and there is yes. Iran, and there is Turkey. And I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. We are, we are close to those countries as well. Joining us now, Bloomberg's Peggy Collins and Mario Parker with us at the table. Now that we have a better sense of where we're going here, uh, Mario, you covered Donald Trump uh, in the White House and as a candidate. 
How difficult, how bruising is this going to be for the next four weeks if she decides to stay in this race? Well, Joe and Kaylee, you all set it up perfectly. I mean, what you saw in that speech that he just gave was he was signaling that it's going to be rough now. He's about to probably start throwing some really really tough haymakers, especially as he goes towards South Carolina. Look, the former president is under legal troubles. He wants to make this a coronation more than a nomination. He needs these victories. He needed this New Hampshire victory. He needed Iowa. He's going to need South Carolina. She's signaling that she's going to stay in the race until South Carolina at least. So you're going to see things get pretty ugly. Well, and South Carolina is still four weeks away. That primary, Peggy, is on on February 24th, we have a global audience joining us here on TV and radio tonight. Would anyone listening to us right now have any real reason to believe that Trump wasn't ultimately going to be the nominee, regardless of whether or not Nikki Haley decides to continue uh, competing in these contests or not? Right now, looking at the data, he pulled more than 50 percent of the vote here, as he did in Iowa last week. Well, I think the momentum is clearly going his way. That's undeniable. But I think what people have said around the Kelly campaign, even in the days leading up to this, is that they wanted to show that they are doing better with each race. So they did do that tonight. They had a better showing than in Iowa. So the question is going to be, in her home state, can she perform even better than she did here in Iowa? So now we're getting into, as Mario said, kind of the zone of the 50 percent and whether or not she can show that she's going to be able to compete with Donald Trump before he gets that coronation and nomination slam dunk in some ways. The question worth asking again, though, Mario, is how she can do it there if not here in New Hampshire, knowing it's going to be a lot closer to Iowa politics in terms of demographics and values in South Carolina. I believe Jeannie mentioned one in four Republicans are evangelicals. That's Trump country again, is it not? That's a great point, Joe. I mean, you saw Nikki Haley's campaign. Also, you saw Americans for Prosperity. Other groups really go all in in New Hampshire. This was her best shot right now, just given the, di the, the composition of the electorate, highly educated, uh, white collar, suburbans, yeah. moderate uh, voters as well, uh, undecided voters. And then you go to South Carolina, and it looks a lot like Iowa. She's hoping that she has a little bit of home court advantage there yes, sure. but again this is a deeply red state in South Carolina it is very it's also famous. got a history of some pretty dirty tricks that is true, absolutely. And then you've got Donald Trump down there. He's had this infrastructure. Again, I think one of the things that we forget about in this election is the fact that Donald Trump is running for a third time. The muscle memory that you get, the infrastructure that you, infrastructure that you have over that course as well, able to kind of sow the ground in some of these key states. Well, and that's what we've been hearing about his campaign this third time around, that it is much more organized, that they are much more disciplined. Uh, and perhaps we are seeing the reaped reward of that in New Hampshire this evening. We're talking about South Carolina in terms of the Republican primary, Peggy, but there will also be a Democratic Party in South Carolina. Officially, if we're talking about what counts in terms of delegates, it will be the first for the Democratic Party. Joe Biden was not on the ballot here in the Granite State this evening. There was a write-in campaign. It appears he won that by uh, a pretty sizable margin. Dean Phillips, though, a congressman from Minnesota, a Democrat, got 20 percent of the vote. How should we be thinking about what New Hampshire tells us about the incumbent president as he is the presumptive Democratic nominee at this point? Well, I certainly think we saw in talking to voters and then tonight in some of the results that there are a lot of people who are saying they're not seeing what they want to see coming out of the Biden administration and their campaign. We saw time and time again that people were telling us 
immigration and border security have become almost as big as, if not a bigger issue, than how much people are seeing their pocketbooks get hurt by inflation, which was the big issue last year. So I certainly think that people are looking to the president and not only asking questions about age, but asking questions about policy. And so the Biden campaign is really going to have to answer those questions to voters heading into South Carolina, as you said, Haley. Uh, uh, as you said, Kaylee, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, in terms of how they are going to solve some of these problems that Americans are saying, hey, we see this as a problem, we want a solution for it. Yeah. Mario, you had a fascinating interview that you brought us at Bloomberg with Larry Hogan. When he was still a national co-chair of No Labels, he's since left that group, which got everyone thinking he might launch a run for the presidency. They have said if it's Trump, Biden, by Super Tuesday, we're running a candidate, whether it's Larry Hogan or someone else. Will that happen? It looks like it, right? Because that's what's happening. At least we're at least as of today, it looks like we're going forth toward this, this rematch of Biden and Trump, uh, something that voters, our polling shows that voters have no appetite for. Yeah. So it does look like the No Labels movement will be moving forward, at least if they're, they're going to keep their word in that regard. All right, Bloomberg's Mario Parker, who leads our White House and national politics coverage here at Bloomberg, as well as Peggy Collins, our Washington bureau chief. Thank you both so much for joining us this evening, not from Washington, but from Manchester, New Hampshire, where... Trump has been declared the victor of the first in the nation primary. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.